Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you guys get to hear from Dr. Whitney Caceres. And when I tell you she's done a few things, I am not kidding. She's going to help us unpack those things today. Dr. Whitney, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you. Oh, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we just wanted to hear a little bit about your background and then we're going to really focus on the kind of 40 plus thing. Like what happened as you sort of approach this new stage of life to make you rethink the different things that you were doing and what you wanted to offer. But first give us a quick background cuz like I said you do so many things. I've always been that quintessential lean in, hard worker, like self-martyr person. Um, I kind of prided myself and identified with being the person who maybe wasn't like the top SAT score gal in the room, but who could absolutely kill him with grit. I ended up being the valedictorian of my high school and was like top scorer at my college and then went into medicine and really bought into that idea that if I just pushed hard enough, I could be successful. And for those who can't see me, like the air quotes successful in terms of kind of having it all. And I feel like before I became a mom, I actually really was able to achieve that. I was on the executive committee as a pediatrician. Eventually, I ended up getting to Stanford for my residency program. I got a public health degree in my last year of medical school. Like, who does that? <laughs> you know? Um, and I was the go girl. People asked, you know, we have an extra patient. Can you see him? Like, yeah, totally. You know, you need to write this extra email. Okay. Do you want to be part of this committee? Sure, 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 sure. And then I had my own kid, my first kid. And to be perfectly honest, before I had her, I would look at these like poor parents who would come in and have struggles with their newborns. And I'd be thinking like, you like sorry saps, like just read the books like I did, work a little bit harder and it should be easy for you. It's because you're not putting in the effort. And then I had my daughter and she didn't sleep for more than 45 minutes at a time. She was all <laughs> kinds of colicky. The newborn period was one thing, but then she became a toddler and she had these tantrums that were like out of control. She couldn't potty train. She'd be having meltdowns in the middle of a like amusement park, like having the time of her life. She should be having an amazing moment and we were having a hard time with her. And it ended up taking me on this journey where I had to then really lean into her a ton to figure out what was going on. As a pediatrician, I knew what was normal, kind of like what was on the spectrum of typical. And I knew she was not. And so we ended up with parent coaches and with psychologists and occupational therapists and with psychiatrists. And eventually now she has like an alphabet soup of diagnoses, but she was like, 
anxiety disorder, dysregulatory disruptive mood disorder, um, depressive disorder, like dysthymic, and then eventually autism. You know, she was considered in the DSM classifications, which is the diagnostic tool that the psychologists use, high functioning autism. So basically what people would have considered Asperger's maybe 10, 15 years ago and explain so much. But in that process, I had to lean in really far to her to make things work for her to make it not crazy in my house. I was still leaning really, really far into my work. I felt like the Mm. further I got into it, the more people expected of me and the more expected Mm. of myself. I had another kid along the way who was more typical, but still needed me. And then there's like all the stuff of running a house. You got to buy the toothpaste and sign the kids up for the camps and, you know, like all those things. And I felt like in that process, I really lost myself. And the way that I started coping with the stresses of life ended up causing collateral damage to myself and to everybody else around Mm. me. So... Yes, I took care of myself, but in ways like I'm going to binge watch all night long for three nights in a row on Netflix. Like that's not such a bad harm, but still makes you tired and ineffective for a week after that. I'm going to drink too much. I'm going to like snap at my husband and be like, I'm out of here and like spend way too much money more than I had going to debt. Like all of these things that felt really good in the short term, like gave me a good dopamine rush, but in the end weren't sustainable and made it Mm -hmm. actually worse for myself and for my family. And so then over time, I realized, holy cow, I have bought into this terrible lie, like this terrible lie that this overproductivity, that being a martyr, that like just hustling my way through life is the way to really be truly successful. And I had to, because I had these like on my knees in the shower moments, like come to Jesus moments, figure out a different framework. And then after I figured out that framework for myself, I started talking to all these other moms in my practice. Because that's what you do as a pediatrician. You just talk to other parents and specifically moms. I would start to just share my story with them. And they would sometimes in the same extreme level that I was at, but sometimes not as extreme, really say, yes, I see myself in what you're talking about. Yeah. I also feel like I have octopus arms and that I'm giving as much as I can to work. I'm giving as much as I can to my family. And somehow I still feel guilty And yet at the same time, I feel like there's absolutely nothing else that I can do. I have no more to give. And so that's when I realized like, oh my gosh, there, there is a need here. There is an absolute void in terms of taking care of moms and of women, working women in the way that we need to. So what leads somebody with your background to say, oh, let me add yet another thing to the things I do when the very predicament you were in was I'm doing too many things or I'm juggling too many things. I've always been a writer. I was a journalism major. I've always been very interested in communications and talking with other moms. And I think when I started having that interaction with these other parents and finding this place of like real meaning and purpose in Mm -hmm. that part of my work, then I realized, oh, that's part of the thing that's going to get me through this is feeling like what I'm doing every single day means something and will actually change things for people. I love the work of helping guide parents through and kids through childhood and young adulthood. So you're absolutely right that in the short term, when I decided I'm going to do this work of starting to really help moms and contributing to them, 
that was another layer, but it was with the intention and with the goal of, you know what, I want to build something. So I'm doing less of this thing that doesn't fill me up and more of the thing that I really am excited about. And because I started getting really energized about that, I actually then was able to figure out, you know what, how can I spend less energy, less time on all this other stuff that doesn't matter quite as much? How can I really dive into the stuff that's giving me a ton of energy? So I think that's where it was in the beginning. And yeah, I totally double hustled for a minute, which felt a little bit like counterintuitive. But I think it's because I finally saw, oh, this is how I can combine my talents. This is how I can really feel passionate Mm -hmm. and feel alive in my work. And it's it's true, I think, for many of us that when we feel sort of this tug, this call to something else, somehow we muster up the energy to get there. And then for some time, there's the, the tension of holding both things, mm-hmm. but we know that eventually we'll let go of that. But we still haven't told our audience what you created once you identified that moms you were meeting with also had this sort of need. So the very two first things that I created um, were a blog where Mm. people would come and tell me in the office, this is the thing that I'm struggling with the most. And I would feel like, okay, in this 10 minute or 15 minute office appointment, I have to get through this checklist of things that are kind of the basics to make sure your baby stays alive. But really, I'd love to spend 20 minutes talking to you about this bigger concept. Like, for example, I'm a working mom and I have to feed my kid and I feel really guilty about the fact that it has to be formula. But at the same time, I have a workplace that is not supportive or for whatever reason, it's just not working in terms of breastfeeding, feel all this pressure. And so I would write these blogs that were about kind of like radical acceptance. How do you be okay with the situation that you're in as a mom? And so when people would start to talk to me about their guilt in clinic, I would talk to them about it, but I would also give them a printed copy of this blog that I had written. I see. Yeah. So that was the first step. And it started around kind of the young babies, the new moms, because that Mm -hmm. felt like this moment where people were really uh, vulnerable and really Mm -hmm. open to talking about their feelings in a different way. And so I, I wrote this collection of blogs, and then I ended up going to the American Academy of Pediatrics and saying, hey, could we put this into a book? for new moms. And they're like, yeah. 100%. But we also, if you're up for it, want you to write an entire book that's about working moms. And how do you like do all the pieces and parts of being a working mom? So then I started working on that. And then podcasts were coming up. This was like in 2018, 2019. And yeah. moms were like, hey, I don't have time to read the blogs. Do you think maybe you could record them? And you could put them into a podcast (laughs) for me. And I'm like, man, that's not that hard. You know, I did that. And then I started having other author friends from the American Academy. I had other people because on this journey, I started, of course, reading a ton, just absorbing so much, consuming so much stuff about like, oh, I'm not alone on this. And so then I would invite those guests to be on the podcast and it kind of grew from there. And now it's uh, the two books that I have. I'm working on a third book a podcast, which now we do every other week, the blog, which I have a team that helps me write those at this point. And then we have an app that eventually now we put together that we work on. But that's how it started. It started with the blogs and the book and people just coming out of the woodwork. And as I would write about my daughter having pinworms and like she couldn't potty train and like, I didn't know why. And she was like bouncing up and down. And 
I think it was the ability for people to see that someone who should know so much about a subject could also feel stymied. Yeah. Could also feel frustrated, um, could feel rage. I mean, I wrote about, and the American Academy made me take this out of the books, but I wrote it in my blogs, like, and then I felt hatred toward my child, you know, yeah. and I wish she wasn't mine just for that millisecond. Yeah. I, I wish I could step away. But but for so many people to be able to hear that and feel like they're not alone in yeah. that and that that doesn't mean that you, in fact, hate your child no. or, in fact, you don't of love and not. adore this of child. It not. means <laughs> that you're able to have this moment of reality, mm-hmm. of being in tune with yourself. Yeah. I mean, we talk about the need for mental health and for us to be real. So for you as a professional to have had, whether it was included in the book or not, to have had those moments, and I'm sure you shared those moments with patients, all of a sudden they feel validated in what they're feeling and not afraid of those feelings. Yeah, totally. And I think what happens a lot as human beings, and um, Kristen Neff talks a ton about this in her work on mindful self-compassion, is this idea of like, I must be abnormal. I must be crazy. Mm -hmm. I must be the only one that has these feelings and when instead I was able and my and my readers were able to see like, no, it makes total sense that you feel this way. Yeah. Your daughter literally just threw a vase at your head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that makes sense as a human being, you would feel that way. Okay, what's the pause I need to take to be able to respond to her versus react to her? I think that's so affirming and validating for people to know they're not alone. I mean, I totally get the blog being Mm -hmm. like the natural extension of I have all this knowledge, let me get it out. And then being able to share it with clients. I get the podcast. I get how those things work in concert with each other. And also to help let people know that the book is out there, that Mm -hmm. there is this expert, this authority who's talking about these things. What was it about community that led you to the app? Because that's a very different thing than managing the flow of information and the mediums in which we help people to digest that. The app is something different. Yeah. Let me hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So we knew that we were doing a nice job of one-way communication. Yeah. Of us giving out info, of me being on Instagram and saying, hey, here's what I'm doing today. You're normal. Here's my messy house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, But we wanted people to be able to interact with us. And Mm -hmm. people were already sending us a lot of messages via direct message, or they would Mm -hmm. send us emails via our website. And they would ask a lot of personal questions. And as a medical provider, of course, I had to be careful because I wanted to not give specific medical advice. But we also knew that we wanted a way to tailor what we gave people in a way that felt safe and not kind of crossing that medical patient barrier. Like, I'm having this specific issue, and maybe they didn't know where to go within all of our billions of blogs to say, oh, here's the book I would recommend. Oh, read this. Oh, go to this podcast. Oh, let's do an interactive journaling experience where I can guide you to this activity and you can do it. Or other moms may be feeling the same way and that they could talk to another mom or to, we have um, consultants, we have mama mentors, we call them on the app, where we have actual people you can talk to and actually get really deep on your stuff. Like maybe I'm not the wrong person for you to talk about 
the mom guilt or the issue that you're having with your partner and how to talk with them in a way that's really safe and effective. But I can set you up with a couples therapist that could do that. Yeah. I can set you up with a maternal health wellness person, with a pelvic floor therapist, with with people that are experts in their field that could then take it the next level. So I think it was about moms being able to talk to each other, us being able to have a two-way conversation in a way that felt like we were actually targeting people's needs, and then being able to help people take the next step. Because I've always felt very frustrated in my pediatrics clinic when a parent would come to me Mm -hmm. and they would say, hey, here's my issue. And all I could say is, yeah, that's really rough. Like how how terrible is that? I wanted to be able to say, here's a resource. Here's the next step. Here's where you go to potentially solve that issue or to get with someone who would say, sorry, there's no solution for this, but here's how you cope with it. Right. I love that it's, I introduced it as community, but there's this concierge part of it Mm -hmm. where you're actually directing people. I don't know if you use that term, Mm -hmm. but you're actually directing people to these resources and you're utilizing all of the content that you've already created to redirect people like, hey, we don't, you don't have to kind of rifle through all of this. We're going to show you directly what you need to be paying attention to, hearing tools, tips, things like that, that you need that are pertinent at this particular time. So how does one then decide, I'm going to do this, I'm going to create this community, and there are lots of community platforms, but you specifically said, no, I want to make it an app. That's that's another leap, and that's another full-time job just to create that and the the mechanism for that two-way conversation that you wanted to have. What was that about? Why an app versus a a, a community platform? Yeah. Anything from Facebook all the way to Mighty Networks and some of these other membership type things that are available. So we actually started that way. Oh, you did? We started with, here's a community membership platform on our own website. And people had a hard time getting past, I think, the design of it not fitting perfectly onto their phone. Okay. They had a hard time, I think, with like the user friendliness. I really feel like Apple, I have like this love-hate relationship, right? Like they yes. made it so that we expect that the design will yes. be user friendly on every single thing that we use. And so I find in my own office and we found at Modern Mommy Doc, like people, there was such a barrier when people felt like it wasn't one click, two clicks to get to it, that it didn't show up on their phone. We also wanted the ability to send notifications every single day, either if we had new content that came out, if we wanted to send someone a reminder, if we wanted to send different segments of people a reminder. So we're able on the app to say, hey, you're a toddler parent, you're a newborn parent, you're a teen parent. People would say like, like it's not helpful for me to send a reminder to a newborn parent of sleep is important. So that's just cruel. But yeah. to the parent of a teenager, that is a totally reasonable thing to say to them. And so sure. we wanted to be able to make that specific. We also wanted to have control of um, different features. Like we have on the app where there's quotes or really inspirational things that we want to say, and then you can 
do a specific, not a screenshot, like, like you would take a photo, but within the app, take a photo of it, share it on your social media, have it be that you share it with friends, create your own cool background, put your own little picture in it. So that's you sending it. We just know that's how the world works. Yeah. And that aesthetics matter just as much as the information that we are sharing. Sure. And then in terms of the way I did it, and I'm going to forget it, the person who started um, Maple, who which is a really cool app, mm-hmm. he said this when he came on the podcast. He goes, you know, what I have learned is that I have a unique value proposition within myself. And I am really good at the ideas and at coming up with what should be the purpose. Like, I create this and this is how the person feels or this is the outcome for that person. And that's me. I am not the tech person. So I have delegated out to people on my own team. Okay, you're the tech person. Here's how I want it to be, but you're the design. You're the tech person. You create the app or we're going to outsource that. And we're willing to make the investment because we've seen from our own community kind of what the felt needs are. And so I'd rather do that than spin my own wheels creating like low tech junk that nobody wants to see or use. We hear on this podcast all the time, people talk about, I did what I was good at and I hired out, Mm -hmm. you know, what I wasn't good at. And that that actually frees them up to be even better at the thing that they were good at. You understood the need of the user. You understood what was happening within the membership platform that you had created um, that wasn't working. Mm -hmm. You understood that their mobile habits were much more likely to get them to interact and interface with your platform. So it's like you could take all that information and all that data and all the stuff that was about the the why of the app that you were creating and hand it off to somebody who could create the how. Mm-hmm. And I think that people th- often think that they need to do all those things. Now, something that you said that was a, a key is that you invested in that and not everybody has that ability to invest in it. But you didn't start with the app. You started with, the podcast, you started with the blog, you started with the book. And that information was able to, and that community that you created around that was able to warrant the expense of the app. So that's a very leading uh, way of me saying, so what do you say to somebody who says, I just don't know how to start with an app, or I just don't have the money to start with an app? Okay, here's what I won't say, what I would not say first. I had plenty of mentor types who said to me, like, put all of your energetic positivity out into the world, quit your day job. The minute that you start investing all of your time into this is when the universe will bring it all toward you or whatever. I'm way too much of a realist. I don't believe in manifesting. I don't think it's like, yep, just throw caution to the wind and go for your dreams. You know, I think you do have to be realistic about in the beginning, there will be a double hustle if you're planning on following something that you really want to do. I think that setting a time limit to say, if this doesn't work out in X number of months or in a year, then I'm out. Like giving yourself an escape route to go back to the thing that maybe wasn't as exciting, but that pays the bills. Going incrementally. Like we waited until we had um, several contracts with some bigger brands. Like I work as a parenting pro for Bye Bye Baby and um, CeraVe sponsors my book signings at some American Academy of Pediatrics conferences. 
We waited until we had some of those things to make the big investments. And those things took four years. I mean, I did not start actually making money at Modern Mommy Doc for four years in a way that actually was positive income on the ledger books. Yeah. I didn't make no money. (laughs) I just have to say to you, I I mean, I get goosebumps, weird Mm -hmm. things. I get goosebumps when ladies tell the truth. And thank you for telling the audience, because I have said this a million times, we're not empowering if we don't tell the Mm -hmm. truth. And for you to say, I didn't make money for four years, gives context to the listener who is thinking about, I want to go do X, Y, and Z. Our listeners know that I was a small business consultant for many, many, many years, and this was a side hustle. And not until this year did I say, okay, I'm going to pour everything into this new um, platform. Even when it was an option, I'll say that, it wasn't a a wise option. And so for people to hear, it took four years. I did this, I did this, I did this, and I did this. And it helped me to know not only that there was an appetite for this thing that I was creating, but I actually could fund it is so important. I so appreciate that. So thank you. I just had to pause and say thank you to that (laughs) and call it out for our listeners. I want to talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial thing because you've really been rooted in a traditional path for how many ever years it took you to get past that and to become a pediatrician. Then you decide that you do want to do something entrepreneurial and we heard your story and we heard your why. Did you ever think you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Was there something calling you to that particular thing? Not just, oh, I wanna share with other moms the pain that I'm in and the pain that they're in, but is there something about having your own thing that appealed to you? Oh yeah, I mean, I think the flexibility, the autonomy, the entrepreneurial spirit. My mom was a gift show rep for a very long Mm -hmm. time. She had her own business as I was growing up. She was a serial entrepreneur and Mm -hmm. she would bring me with her to the gift shows. And this is back when people had the credit card machines where you would like actually swipe it. (laughs) I remember. So I would be the one at the booth, like swiping the credit cards, checking their ID on their checks to make sure they weren't fraudulent, all of this. And I, I was always starting lemonade stands with my friends. Like we were always, you know, submitting stuff to 17 magazine to try to like enter contests, that type of thing. So yeah, I've always wanted to do something that was kind of outside of the box. I I never Mm. wanted to be kind of limited by that nine to five. I love the part of entrepreneurship of like constantly learning, of having new challenges. And I think also just being my own boss. I always wanted to be my own boss and to pick who I worked with and to pick the way I worked on a day-to-day schedule. I just have to ask again, so our listeners have context, are you fully employed, I should say, but in terms of your time by the work you're doing that you've created or are you balancing back and forth between your work as a pediatrician? I'm balancing the two things and I'm to be perfectly transparent, still deciding the value that the pediatrician part of it brings to me. Mm -hmm. I've been a pediatrician for, this is going on 12 years this next summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, As of January, I'll work 50% time, which is two days a week. So it's not 
much in terms of the hours that I'm putting in there. At some point, though, it might be that I don't need that to stay relevant in terms of the work that I'm doing. Right now, I think because the work is about working moms, then I still want to be very keyed into what moms are facing on the day to day. And that being in the office with my patients gives me that raw experience and that those experiences where moms feel really afraid and that I can be there for them and be in those moments with them. I think that people share a lot and are very transparent and it's very informative to me as to where moms really are when they're in times of crisis, they tend to come to you a a ton as a pediatrician. So right now I think it's, it's still really useful to me. Mm -hmm. I think that in the future, another five years, 10 years, it might be that then I actually don't need that experience anymore because I have so much more with the app and with our community that people are talking to me all the time. And so it ends up being a distraction from this bigger mission. Yes. So that listeners understand I'm still straddling both worlds. I think some people in order to focus on this would need it to be like clean cut and I'm out, you know, and I'm going to do it a little earlier, but I think that helps me not be as anxious in the moment because I still have a little anchor if I needed it. I appreciate that you've said it's it's bringing in more information mm-hmm. for you. It's a funnel for talking to women about what's going on and things are changing. Problems that we were having 10 years ago with our teenagers, I'll say, because I have teenagers, mm-hmm. are very different than the problems my mom had with us Mm -hmm. as teenagers. And so for you to constantly have your ear to that is really important. And it's one of the things that your app provides. You talk a lot about helping women sort of navigate the, the daily interactions. And I'm reading here, diminishing burnout, stress, and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to have you on the podcast and not ask, what are some tools for our listeners that can help alleviate some of those things? Yeah. So I think number one is really holding on to the idea that just because something is difficult or just because something is stressful doesn't Mm. mean you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Um, Mm. I really think about that with parenting. Just because I'm parenting and it's challenging does not mean I'm doing it wrong. Just because things are a little stressful as an entrepreneur or balancing those two things doesn't mean I'm doing it wrong. If I'm experiencing overwhelm constantly and burnout constantly, then yes, I need to make a change. So I think differentiating between those two things. The other thing is in terms of coping, the biggest thing that I have learned to do is to find the pause. So to go from being reactive to stress to becoming responsive to stress. So instead of I get stressed and I have some immediate reaction, it's to go drink, you know, 10 coffees or it's to drink 10 glasses of wine or it's to like run off to Vegas, you know, and like have an affair with some handsome dark man, you know, whatever it is, right? Like that's a reaction. If I can sit with it for a second and understand why do I feel stressed? Is there anything that I can do about it? If there's not, do I need to just sit in this moment with the stress? Okay, that allows me to respond really differently. So for example, Mm -hmm. we're going through a real estate transaction, we're buying a new house, 
it has been more stressful than I thought that it would ever be. <laughs> and yesterday we were like at a peak with everything because it's closing on Friday. And I found myself in this moment where I'm like, okay, I'm so like worked up. I can't work. I'm too distracted to work. I don't want to go like spend money because I feel like that's going to just like get me even deeper into a hole. And like, I don't want to drink or call, call somebody and put it on them and vent or whatever. And I literally had to just stop myself and say, this is a stressful moment. It makes so much sense that it's stressful. You are going to have to sit with discomfort for the next three hours until you are called by the title company and they say that everything is approved and you're ready to sign your loan docs. I, right. That's what you're going to have to do. But I think the old me the pre-modern mommy doc me would have tried to find something to fix it right then or to feel better right then or to like alleviate it right then or bring some dopamine in. So I think that's a huge thing is being able to sit in responsiveness versus reactiveness or to sit in discomfort for a minute, you know, and to understand yeah. the why behind the discomfort. And those things apply to, I mean, if we're starting a business, if we're un trying to understand what's going on with our midlife selves, like so much of that, our relationships with our children, with our partners, uh, that can be applied to, to really everything. And then, of course, I think there's the basics of taking care of yourself in terms of moving, getting sleep, drinking enough water, all of those things. And then I think the last thing is trying to find what is the thing that brings you joy, that makes you feel like you are the most you. Eve Rodsky talks about this in Unicorn Space. Mm -hmm. She talks about it in more of a like, how do you find your passion and fulfill your passion and make like a lot of space for yourself? I sometimes think of Unicorn Space more as like, what is the thing that when I'm doing it, literally in like 30 seconds, I'm in a better mood or I can like lift my right. spirits. So to me, it's as easy as like, I am throwing on the Nicki Minaj or like walking around the block. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm hopping on the Peloton bike and Cody Rigsby is going to like make me laugh. I'm going to sing in the car with my kids. It's I'm going to like send my friend a funny emoji. So those are the things that to me, I think also get you through really hard times is more intentionally sprinkling those as opposed to making it like almost bulimic where you're like, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone. I'm going to constantly be working. At the end of this, I get a reward. Instead, trying to kind of infuse really intermittently, but purposefully moments of joy or of pleasure or of enjoyment throughout the day, throughout the week. And then to cultivate that, whatever that joy is for yourself, you have to know what those things are. So even just that pause to like, oh, what brings me joy in these short moments that I can do throughout my day? Like all of that intentionality builds on itself. So thank you for those. I, I have to also ask, as you yourself has have grown into the beginnings of your midlife and you've seen other mothers, uh, do the same thing. Anything that you've noticed that's um, maybe even helped you to think, oh, we need to develop that in the app. Like there's something that starts to happen as moms feel everything from, you know, a, a codependency all the way to 
I don't know who I am without them or mm-hmm. what I'm going to do without them. Uh, you know, again, a- everything from the most extreme to you're going to have more hours in your day. Anything that you can speak to with regard to that specific time in a woman's life? I think the biggest thing that I see coming up for the moms we work with on Modern Mommy Doc and in my own friend group is just this push and this willingness to be more vulnerable with each other, Mm. to be able to say on a text message, I feel really lost and alone and I don't know what to do. Oh, wow. To behave badly. And what I mean is not like, we're having a mom's night out, we're behaving badly. But almost like to give each other grace for the moment that we lose it. I was at a dinner thing the other night for somebody's birthday. And the kid wouldn't eat their food. And the mom, she's getting frustrated. And she didn't say the empathetic emotion coaching thing to her kid. She just said what she was actually feeling right then. And and then she came into the other room with us like a minute later and she's like, I'm just having like the worst time. Sometimes I just can't handle it anymore. And every other woman there answered back like, oh yeah, totally. I've been there. Oh yeah. I've been there. So glad you just said that because I did that last week too. And so I think that realness that trying to be vulnerable and trying to be giving each other grace in those moments is the thing that I have come to accept more in my 40s. And then I think also that I've seen the modern mommy doc community really gravitate toward and my friends too. I think it's like this acceptance of imperfection or this actual like leaning into imperfection. I'm so glad, A, because Um, We need more of that, people who are okay with that imperfection, but also that the vulnerability is sometimes, there's no solution. It's just the willingness to to share and to have other people nod and say, yeah, me too, sister. Mm -hmm. I hear you. So we've heard about sort of your journey. For friends who I'm sure are around you who are like, you know what? Whitney, I don't know how you're doing all the things. I don't know how you're balancing all of this. And honestly, I sort of had my professional career, I've done the mom thing or whatever the case might be. And I just don't believe that I've got it in me to start something at this, at this time in life, right? This approaching midlife for some of us in midlife, I think it might be too late. What do you want to say to her? Yeah, I think it's never too late. And I want that person, that woman to really think about When she is at her, or they, them, are at their 80-year birthday party, Mm. and people are surrounding them, and people are saying all the accolades or all the things that define them. You know how a birthday party people go around, or like, I love this about you, or this. Like, I want it to be for you that they are saying the things that you hoped for your life. Like, and you know, they're not going to be like, congratulations, you had a billion dollar home on the hill. They're not going to say like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. You got to the C-suite. I mean, maybe, but I think for most people, they want to be remembered for like, I made a difference. Even in five people's lives, I was available or had a close connection with my kids. So really trying to think about what are the values or what are the things that would bring you meaning if you were to look back on your life when you were an older person. 
And then to think about, is it really too late for you to dive into those things now? I know because people tell me all the time, like they look at me like, oh gosh, I do all these things. I do a lot of things. I also don't do a lot of things. If we were to turn the camera around on my kitchen, there is a counter full of dishes. (laughs) Like they have mac and cheese or, you know, um, we'll make it healthier and we'll get like a pre-made chicken with a loaf of French bread and some broccoli. Like there's a billion things I don't do. My, my kids are not in a million activities during the week. Sure. I don't have us signed up to be overscheduled on the weekends because I just know that I don't have the energy to do those things. And I really also want to speak to this idea. Sometimes people will come back and be like, well, that's because, you know, you're in a certain tax bracket or you can afford. Like, I, there's been times I've had house cleaners. I don't have a house cleaner right now. Like, I, I just leave it. It's a tiny bit messy. It's clean, but it's a tiny bit messy in this season. I think the boundary thing of being able to say no and like to claim your own time and again, to have awareness around, is this something that's going to be energy giving or energy draining for me? And if it's energy draining, will it fulfill a bigger goal that I have? Does it fit into those things that give me meaning and purpose? If it does, okay, then it's a yes or or yeah. maybe because my kid's sick today, it's a no, because that's my priority. So I really think um, on the outside in my life, for example, or a lot of the people that I work with at Modern Mommy Doc, it looks like you're doing more. But the reality is you can do more when you've learned how to say no to a bunch of crap that doesn't make a difference. We all spend about 99% of our time on things that in the end are meaningless in 50 years, we will look back on and say, nobody cared how the groceries got to the house. Of course, people who are living hand to mouth have totally different struggles than I do, than you do. But I think for the vast majority of the upper middle class or the middle class working mom, it's a lot about prioritization, decision-making, and about really developing a set of values and goals that you have. In our app, we call that the centered life vision that then defines where do I want to spend my time, my energy, my focus, and then how am I going to either deal with or say no completely to the other stuff that really doesn't matter and doesn't give to me or my family. So oftentimes women who are thinking that it might be too late, it's just that they ha- they've got too much going on and they don't know how to focus on those, I think you said value-driven sort of things. And I like the picture that you painted of like, this celebration, this 80th birthday or whatever that birthday might be for you, where you know you want to be able to be uh, in a position to look back and say, I am proud of those things. And those things mattered. And those things will, you know, perhaps even matter after I'm gone. I think that's, I think that's great. And I love, I love hearing something different when we ask that question. And I, I love that birthday vision that you've created for us to, to try and imagine ourselves in. Okay, before we let you go, we've got our fast five. So what's a practice, and I'm sure you have many of these, or a hack that you think women over 40 should know? Okay, 100% the AirPods. Like, if you're not using AirPods, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Except mine never oh, work. Oh, they don't? Oh, 
No. I love Whenever we're doing a podcast. Yeah, time for the upgrade because the AirPods, like they save me so much time. I could be like riding my bike and have my AirPods in. I use my AirPods for recording podcasts. Like the AirPods save me a lot of time. And I've even been on a work meeting. I mean, I don't think they'll ever listen to this, but like a work meeting (laughs) for my uh, pediatrics office and been at like a CeraVe L'Oreal meeting and like had the AirPods in. Nobody knows. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. And then what's a book that you think really helped you to focus on self-care? Yeah, I actually think Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection is Mm -hmm, my favorite. mm -hmm. Um, Again, because it focuses on that self-acceptance, that piece of we're all not normal and we're all normal. And that actually the thing that is our perceived biggest weakness can be our biggest Mm -hmm. strength if we let it. I love that book. Yeah. And then you've talked a lot and gave us some really great tools and tips as it relates to uh, burnout. But maybe what's one thing, uh, an additional thing or something that you'd like to point back at that's a really good way to avoid burnout, not just what to do Mm -hmm. in it, but to avoid it. I talked about a lot of esoteric things. So Mm -hmm. I think a very practical thing is getting outside. I think that Mm -hmm. getting outside without distraction So going outside without an AirPod, with absolutely nothing that's input except for nature and your mind is totally invaluable. That could be you're sitting on your porch. That could be you're taking a walk around the neighborhood. That could be you're looking at a beautiful scene. That could be you're deciding to walk versus go by car someplace. I think that fresh air, being in nature, and probably even more importantly, movement with that outside time. Um really brings you back to your place of creativity. And I think also gives you perspective, takes you out of like, I'm me in this little Mm -hmm. tiny world. (laughs) Helps you see the world at large. When you were talking about it, that's exactly what I thought. I thought, oh, everything feels big and grand in the best way, sort of put back in your place, if you will. Okay, so you're not Dr. Whitney. You're just Whitney. You're a young girl. You're going through this process of becoming. And- you want to give her one piece of advice about entering midlife. What would that be? I would tell her you're not too late. You're not running Mm. out of time. Uh, You know, you're not Alexander Hamilton having to write and write and write. Like there's no (laughs) rush. Take your time. It's going to happen when it's supposed to. And the more that you let it happen, on the time frame that it's supposed to, the more that it actually will be rich and meaningful. I would not be able to do the work that I do right this second if I hadn't gone through all the experiences that I went through in my mid to late 30s with my kids. So when I was in high school, I wanted to be an author. I I was like, I'm going to write a book, you know? When I was in medical school, I wanted to do work that was outside of the box that wasn't just in my clinic. But it wasn't until I had my own kids and I'd had that experience with my own patients and I'd had the time to talk to the other moms and I'd grown into myself and known who I was that I was actually ready to do the work. So as much as sometimes I spent some of that time looking at other people and going, ah, like they're already doing it. They're making it. Like, I want to make it, you know, um, it wasn't my time. My, t- my time is now. And I would remind my younger self of that 
And I continue to remind myself of that now. I'm still on a journey. I'm still learning. There's still growth there. So the next book, maybe there's some lesson I still need to learn before I'm fully ready to have that come to fruition. I think you're never too late. Yeah, I love that that advice continues even now, right? Just that it will come in time and there's there, there are lessons for us to learn in order to move into that next phase, whatever it is. I appreciate that. How would you say has launching all the things from the blog to the Modern Mamas Club? I think it's allowed me to express myself in a way that feels so much more free than it's ever been for myself. Like, I feel like the different parts of my platform let me show different parts of my personality and allow me Mm -hmm. to share different vantage points of my wisdom. So on the blog, we're giving really practical advice. On the podcast, I'm having these really deep conversations with strangers, like similar to you on your podcast, I'm sure. Like I just jump right in with these people I've never met and we have the deepest conversation. At the end of it, I feel like we should for real go get coffee and have a drink. You know, like, oh my gosh, we're (laughs) kismet. On our Instagram, if you guys check that out at modernmommy.com, I'm we're like trying to be kind of funny and like a little bit like freedom mom-esque, like a little, a little bit kitschy. And so like my little like hip hop loving self comes through on there and like dance party <laughs> self and right. on LinkedIn, we put all of our academic stuff on there. That's much more about like working mom injustices. And so my part that's about me, that's about being a justice warrior comes out there in terms of advocacy. And so I love it because I feel like it gets to be the full expression of who I am and that I think that it's allowing me to use my gifts in a way that is the most effective for the women who I know have very real needs. That's awesome. I feel like it's a great framework for other people who feel like there are these disparate parts Mm -hmm. of them that they want to get out to be able to utilize. And I know we have so many listeners who will enjoy all the things, the app, um, the podcast, the blog, there's so much out there. And we'll make sure listeners to have all of that in the show notes. And we'll include your books too, Dr. Whitney. I'd love to make sure that those are on there. Thanks for this time. I so appreciate it. It's been lovely to get to know you. It was my pleasure. I'll look forward to us having a coffee date or drink date someday soon. (laughs) Yes, 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 absolutely. And Liberty listeners, thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. And we will talk to you next week. Take care. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.